Pulp MX Network production. Pulp MX fans, we're 550 plus shows and counting thanks to your support of our sponsors. Get the Pulp MX app for iOS and Android today. Save money with discount code PULPMX at BTOsports.com and click the Amazon banner on PulpMX.com for all other online purchases. It's the BTOsports.com Steve Mathis Show, presented by Fox Racing on RacerXOnline.com. The original Moto Podcast, featuring legends of the past, stars of today, Season previews and race reviews, introspection, opinion, facts, and laughs. Here's your host, Steve Mathis. Welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. BTOsports.com, the nation's leading retailer. For anything you need for your biker body, uh, use the code PULPMX to save yourself big money over there. Check out their tire prices that can't be beat. Go ahead and uh, shop around uh, around the other competitors and then go back to btosports.com. Use my code and save yourself big money on tires. And, of course, Fox Racing, the global innovation leader for motocross racewear, continuing the relentless pursuit to innovate and elevate. Full line of 2014 stuff is out now. The Roxon and Dungey Wear Instinct Boot V4 Helmet. Airspace Performance Goggle and 360 Racewear. Foxhead.com or visit your local authorized Fox dealer. My next guest on this show used to wear Fox quite a bit. And uh, I welcome to the BTOsports.com RacerX podcast, the great Ryan Hughes. Rhino, what's up, man? Uh, actually, not much. Just taking a little rest. Uh, had uh, some gym work and just got done with the big mountain bike ride. And now uh, yeah. resting up a little bit to go back to the gym. <laughs> yeah, sounds like a typical day in the life of Ryan Hughes, huh? Yeah, I just uh, I, I keep myself pretty busy. And, uh, you know, when you're motivated to do things and... You like to share your experiences and the things that uh, you know you're into. Then, then it's uh, kind of wraps up your day full. So yeah. uh, it's fun. If I didn't, then I don't know what I'd do. I'd probably get myself in trouble. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> I can't believe we, yeah. it's been taking this long for us to do this. Uh, one of these. I've done them with just about everybody, and lots of fans hit me up uh, over the years with, uh, "Hey, how about a Rhino one? How about a Rhino one?" And um, I'm like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." And then I just uh, I forget about it, and then I'm like, "Hey, wait a minute." So. Never yeah. better well, late than never. Oh, here we go. I guess it's uh, it's it's a uh, better later than sooner, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You still got a lot of fans out there, you know, and a lot of people that uh, follow you, and you're still very relevant in the sport, working with some of the top riders. So, um, you had a bad crash maybe a year ago, uh, maybe longer. Um, yep, I had a crash. Uh, what was it February 13th uh, last year? So okay. yeah, that day. That day will never erase from my brain. Um, and yeah, so I broke uh, I broke T two, three, four, five, six, seven, um, two rods, eleven screws. Was paralyzed twice, um, but made full recovery. Have yeah. a little bit of some, you know, some issues with my right side, just my right, right tricep and right pec muscle. Okay. But other than that, everything everything's hundred percent. And then the most important thing on my body works, so uh, I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> you said you were done riding, but no one really believes you. Uh, do you ride much at all? Uh, I haven't ridden a motorcycle yet. Okay. All right. So, well, yep. so I haven't ridden a motorcycle yet. And, um, you yeah. know, of course, the thoughts have come through my head because mm-hmm. I'm at the track every single day. And that's kind of, you know, it's. I, I have a very good ability to just, when things are done, to just be done with it, walk away with it, and never look back. Yep. But, 
you know, so for me, it's, it's something that I loved. It was me. It's something that I did every day and I was willing to die for. Mm -hmm. And then there came a day that I couldn't do it anymore, but I still have, I still go to the tracks three, four, five times a week, Mm -hmm. you know? And so it's like, I don't know, like a sex addict going into a strip club and not even be able to look. <laughs> you know, it's, right. It's, it's right there, and I'm like, oh, I just can't do it. And yeah. But as the time goes, that itch kind of has gone away a little bit more. Okay. I just, the biggest thing for me is I just don't want to get hurt anymore. And right. I've been hurt so much in my career, it's, it's incredible. And uh, I don't want to feel that anymore. I'm done. Yeah. And so <clears throat> kind of put in some mountain biking that's filling the void a little bit. Yep. And you know, still a little bit of a wuss on that. People are like, come on, let's jump this. I'm like, no, nah, these wheels only go about a foot off the ground. <laughs> uh, people, so, well, yeah, people probably know you by now. So they're like, oh, Rhino will do it. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, what people have known of me in my career, uh, that guy's dead, you know. And, <laughs> and you know, people people can look at this as like a, a bad, you know, a bad instance or a bad situation or whatever, but... The person that's come out of this, it's a blessing, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm so much more at peace than I was the guy racing because to try to, you know, and I see this in a lot of riders now, too, since I stepped away, to try to live up to everybody else's expectation of you and try to live up to what you built up for yourself or this personality you built up, is it, it gets tough, mm-hmm. you know? And I kind of see that with some older riders, and it's just it's hard trying to be somebody all the time, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So now I don't have to be anybody. I don't have to be fast in a motorcycle. I don't have to go win. I don't have to do anything. Mm-hmm. And so a lot more less pressure on myself to have to be somebody so I can I can relax a little bit more, you know? So I'm so much more at peace, and I don't want to ever visit that guy again that uh, was, was a racer. I really don't. And uh, and Coombs told me that your son is, is really into mountain biking, and uh, he's getting pretty good at it. Uh, yes, he is. He yeah. Racing mountain bikes for the last year, and he's he's made a big big improvement uh, from when he first started to mm-hmm. now. Um, he's in his second year with the high school league, so last year was freshman. This year is uh, JV, and he's won the first three races. So, uh, oh. yeah, he's good. And his his goals are just like any motocross kid that wants to go to Supercross. You know, he wants to go to World Cups and the Olympics. So, mm-hmm. you know, those are his dreams. Now it's up to him to uh, make that happen. You know, that's oh, cool. So, yeah, it's cool, and it's. Uh, so it's kind of gotten me into it, and then we get to ride together. Well, we get to ride a little bit together. About first halfway up the hill, I can't see him anymore. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, he kicks my ass pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really, right? Um, yeah. Uh, that's, that's good. That's good to hear. It's good to see that you're, yeah, you've, you've, a lot of guys struggle with hanging it up. A lot of guys struggle with hanging it up. You sound good, though. You sound at peace with it, like. Well, I think it's it's understanding it, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know, because I retired from uh, racing motocross, you know, I, I quit in the middle of the year, in the middle of the race, leading the championship. It was a works championship. I was just done. Mm-hmm. I, was, yeah. I was just over, again, trying to be that guy. And then, unfortunately, when a, when a professional athlete quits, they're not, you know, they say, I'm done with this sport or done with this activity or whatever it is. Well, it's not the activity that you're addicted to. What you're addicted to is this energy, this persona, this this drive, this consequence, this getting up every day and having a goal to reach for, to to shoot for, to work for. You know, people swinging from your balls. Yeah. Big check, big checks coming in the mail. You know, free free stuff in in magazines, 
And so at first, yeah, I'm over this, I'm over this, but then you kind of come to the void of, okay, now what? You know, mm-hmm. You're so addicted to this energy, so most a lot of people go back to it mm-hmm. and find out that... <clears throat> find out it's not the activity, it's not the sport, you know? So then when they, you know, they find that out, and usually whenever an athlete comes back, they don't do as good as Mm -hmm. they did when they quit, you know? And so then there's that void of, okay, who am I? Mm -hmm. Because the person that I was for 30 years, like myself, the person I was for 30 years now is gone. I can't be that guy anymore. And so that to me, that's when people start going down these roads of finding drugs, of alcohol, Mm -hmm. gambling, you know, whatever it is. And so... You almost have to start kind of looking back inside yourself and finding a new you because that guy's never going to come back. And <laughs> if you live in the past of trying to be that guy, you're going to you're going to be unfulfilled the rest of your life. I mean, right. it's, it's and it's plain and simple. Uh, working with uh, Dean Wilson this year, uh, he's given you a ton of credit. Um, you uh, he certainly showed a ton of speed. He probably should be your 250 West Coast champion. Um, and we saw him on the Chad Reed bike again, qualify fastest, win heat races. But he's got the arm pump going on, and he's dropped back. Can you talk a little bit about working with Dean, the good and the bad about it? Um, certainly there's been both for you guys. Um, yeah, you know, Dean's a, a good kid. Uh, he's listened well. Uh, he's fun to be around. He's got a great personality. Uh, he works hard, never never late, you know, to training or riding. You know, never how much more I'm done, I quit. So that was very easy mm-hmm. to get with. Um, you know, the arm pump thing has been, it's been around for years. It's yeah. been around for the last three or four years of his career, you know? So, um, you know, I've done my best to try to eliminate that. I've done my best to try to eliminate it through technique because for me, usually all arm pump came through faulty mm-hmm. technique mm-hmm. and, but Dean's is so sound. And that's to me why you've seen him be so fast is because, you know, my, my way of teaching is to teach speed. And it's not just for people to ride over their heads. It's teaching speed through themselves by bettering their technique, bettering their efficiency, and bettering their understanding of how to ride a motorcycle fast. That is hard to teach is speed. Anybody can train somebody to get fitter. That's mm-hmm. easy. But to get someone fast, that's hard. You have to have you have to look at stuff that people don't see. So Dean, you know, accepted everything that I, I taught him and, and put it into play. But, um, you know, uh, arm pump is like kryptonite to the to a motorcaster, yeah. and so you know we've done all these different things. So I think it might be just uh, you know, yeah. I don't want to talk too much about it, but uh, yeah. um, we um, we yeah, it might be more of a carpal tunnel syndrome than anything. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. We, we had Chad Reed on the show, and Chad uh, on one of our pulp shows, and he's like, I don't know, I never got it, and I never get it. Uh, so I don't really know, but did you, did you ever get it? When did you get um, it? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I used to get it and it always would, you know, I got it when I was in my career, you know, in top of my career, but my, my form was faulty, mm-hmm. you know, so I used a lot of arms mm-hmm. when I changed my technique and my way of riding, I stopped getting it, but I would get it only when I overrode or I didn't ride properly or I wasn't breathing properly. So, mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And, you know, so I fixed it, but then when I wasn't riding the way that I should, I got it. Ah, yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and so that's where I tried to eliminate it through Dean. You know, I've eliminated it through a lot of people through their their riding. But um, I think, like I say, it just might be more of a carpal tunnel syndrome, and there's nothing that you can do for that, you know, 
and people want to say that oh it was the training it was no man oh, <laughs> don't, yeah, yeah. don't 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 talk about anything unless you're in my gym and seeing what we've done you know mm-hmm. what i mean yep. it's definitely 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 not that you know people all the kettlebells no you know i believe kettlebells help with arm pump because it strengthens the full forearm and doesn't just do a uh, it doesn't just do um hold on one yeah. sec people doing back <laughs> Sorry, I'm yelling at people. That's <laughs> sorry about that. <laughs> oh shit. Um, no worries. Uh, so anyway, you know the kettlebell strengthen the full form instead of making it kind of a one-dimensional, mm-hmm. you know, push or pull. So, anyways, uh, do you think it's mental? Do you think arm pump has anything to do with mental? Um, it's a big mystery, and you know we try to hash yeah. this out on the show, and like some people are like, you're just nervous. And it and it comes. I think JT Jason Thomas mentioned something about like, yeah, like if you just if you start thinking about it, you get it, you know. And so it's not even it could be physical, but there could be a mental side to this. Well, you know, the mind controls the body mm-hmm. as the breath as the breath controls the mind. So if you've been getting it for three four years, how can't you think about getting it again? <laughs> right, right. You know what I'm saying? And what yeah. you think about, you bring to you, no matter what it is, good mm-hmm. or bad. Yeah. Right, and your your mind is almost like just a big antenna that just brings what you want or what you don't want. What you constantly think about mm-hmm. is what you're constantly going to get. Because I know that in my career, I've always, I got hurt so much, but I was always and I see this. I think this is a problem with a lot of riders is that they're so focused on not getting hurt or not crashing that they get hurt and crash a lot. Mm-hmm. Because even though okay, I can't crash, I don't want to get hurt. Okay. Can't crash, I'm going to ride smooth. Okay, just relax so I don't right. crash. Well, what are you thinking about? You're thinking about crashing and, <laughs> right. and not getting hurt. Right. So here comes that, you know? So, uh, so I think, yeah, definitely that's a, that's a big part of it right there for yeah. sure. Uh, rhinopower.com and rhinoinstitute.com, a couple websites that you've got going on. How is the Rhino Power stuff doing for you? I mean, are you making a good living from it? Um, certainly a lot of racers take it. A lot of people talk about it. Uh, is that a, been a nice uh, sort of second career for you? Um, yeah, it, it, it's awesome. You know, it's really cool to be able to offer people something that they feel. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's not just some, you know, some gimmick or, um, you know, trying trying to fake them out with something. Mm-hmm. It really, you know, I just hear it over and over and over. And then I always, it always surprises me. Like when I go right, man, I just feel so good. You know, because sometimes <laughs> I just don't take it because you know I'm too busy and this and that. But then, right. you know. The days that I take it, I'm like, wow, I can't believe how good it is, even though it is my company. So, yeah, at first I was like a 60 beginner trying to let the clutch out with business. You know, I didn't come mm-hmm. from that realm. So I have to learn a lot, but I have a really good partner, Ryan McCarthy, that just, he runs the whole show. He runs everything. I kind of, I have the the ideas, the vision, what I want it to look like, mm-hmm. where I want it to be, what I want it to be about, yep. this and that. And but he runs all the behind the scenes things and just does amazing jobs. So, you know, we've grown quite a bit and you know, we started it in a recession, right in the middle of the recession. Right. And we started this company with ten grand. Ten grand. And we owe no not a dollar to anybody. We are have no debt. But that's why it's taken us a little bit longer because we've taken our time. We don't want to go out there and get this big loan for a million bucks and mm-hmm. check us out and have all these hot chicks and these cars and all this shit that they know <laughs> right. somebody a million dollars. Yeah, yeah. No, that's not what it's about. So on the other side, is it making me a living? No, <clears throat> I don't take money from it yet. Yep. You know, 
I let I put all the money that should be coming to me right back into it so it can grow. Mm, and then ten years and then ten years I'll take my check. But that's why I have to work so hard in the, the training part to pay my bills. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no doubt. You've worked with uh, Jessica Patterson, Jason Lawrence, Dean, uh, Josh Grant. Uh, you worked with a number of different riders across the various th- uh, motorcycling stages. Uh, when someone comes to you, what do you do? Do you, do you do you say no? Do you do you look at their commitment? I mean, you're a pretty intense, hardcore guy, and you know a lot of people talk about uh, Dean doesn't train, and and I was always uh, I was always like, well, first of all. You don't win a national title without being in shape. And second of all, he wouldn't be working with Rhino. Rhino would probably tell him to beat it if he's not doing the work. So how do you decide who to take on, what you need, what they need to do, and all that? I mean, of course, your finger is on the pulse of, of uh, motocross and supercross at all times. So just wondering the process a little bit of working with different guys and girls. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't ever really turn anybody away until – I start working with them, maybe, mm-hmm. um, because again, I want to help everybody. I, I help people that are even. I, I train a kid right now that's just in the beginner class. Mm-hmm. It doesn't it doesn't matter to me. You don't have to be the top guy. You just have to have a love and a passion for the sport. Mm-hmm. That's all. That's all I'm trying to do is just share. And it doesn't matter if you're at the bottom or at the top. Yeah, I'll teach you. You know, I'll teach you whatever you need. I, I believe I can help any rider out there because. When you step through my doors, I look at your imbalances. I look mm-hmm. at your imperfections. I don't train you where you're good. Right. I train you where you're suffering. So we can make. That's why I can make such big improvements so quickly. Is because I always point out their their imbalances. It through nutrition, flexibility, uh, imbalances in the body, and 100% on the motorcycle. That's where it's huge. And then also, you know, your strengths, ability, all that stuff of where where you're weak. Mm-hmm. And even the mental game. So, you know, when I can focus on all those things and all their weaknesses, but a lot of people get turned off when they are getting told that they're weak here and they're weak here and they're weak here and they're weak here. You know, people just want to be built up all the time. But hold on, sometimes we have to break you down to build you up, mm-hmm. right? And it's just like the military; they build, they break you down to build you up. So we have to identify all the things that you don't like to do, all the things that you're not good at. And better your better your better them in those situations. Then they see how fast uh, they improve, and then you see. Then you have to calm them down because they get so motivated right. to just keep training. But then you get some people that just can't handle that intensity and that focus and that mm-hmm. you know nitpicking all the time. But I don't know anybody that is the top of their game that doesn't get that shouldn't be nitpicked. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. And and in our sport. We have so many trainers, but we don't have motor motor riding coaches. Mm-hmm. Now, in any other sport, if someone's struggling, they look at their technique. They don't look at their training. You get what I'm saying? Yeah. And our our sport is too addicted to if if you're not fast, you're not fit, dude. Come on. Yeah. It doesn't it doesn't take anybody fit at all to go fast, not at all. But it takes someone fit to go fast for a duration of time. Mm-hmm. But speed will not come just from your training. No, you know, no, yeah. it comes from how you ride the motorcycle. So, this is where I think a lot of people suffer is they don't want to be told that they could be doing things better on the motorcycle. You know, mm-hmm. and you know, and then that's the key. That is the key for speed. Is 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 technique on the motorcycle? Everything comes from technique. There's more Everything. than a, there's more than a few guys out there, old riders especially, that are like, <laughs> "Are we doing a Tour de France or are we racing supercars?" 
uh, because the, yes. the, the tendency does seem to be get on a bicycle and just kill yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, people are – well, because the thing is is we have so many trainers that come into our sport are from the cycling world. Right, right. Because when you have a 16-year-old kid and he doesn't know shit about training or eating and you get some guy from cycling to come in and, mm-hmm. and kind of blow his mind on, you know – what he's done or go on a bike ride with him and wow, he's so fit. Okay. Yeah. He's fit, but mm-hmm. he can't take crap on how to ride a motorcycle. Right. You know, the first ingredient to go fast is your technique. Your yeah. speed is only good as your technique allows mm-hmm. and your safety is only good as your technique allows. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it's plain and simple. So this is where our sport needs to really learn because I see so much imbalance with riders technique now. Mm-hmm. Since somebody, since these riders have put something on, their technique is so bad, it's it's almost scary. These these riders are in the worst possible position for strength, stability, coordination, and balance, just so they can see up. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, yep. And 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 we and so I just I just see so much imbalance that way that <clears throat> this is where our sport can improve so much. Every rider could, hundred percent. Right, right, and a little bit of the four strokes too. I think of Rob technique. Because the, they make it easier. You don't need to worry about being perfect because you have all the power you need in the world. Well, to a point. Mm-hmm. To a point. To ride them, yes. But to go as fast as Villapoto, Bubba, all that, it's all about technique. Right, right. That's why Villapoto, that's why Villapoto beat everybody by 18 seconds or more, or whatever it was, at the roughest, longest track, Daytona, mm-hmm. yep. because his technique allows that speed. What Bubba did last weekend was all about technique. You see how loose his arms were? You see where his hips are? You see, you know, all these different things allows Mm -hmm. him to be so efficient and so smooth and look like he's not even riding hard, where then you look at Barsha and it looks like he's three seconds flat faster, but he's not because he uses so much energy because of where his body is. It's in the wrong position. Right. You know, he's too braced up. Everything's into his arms. And so if everything's into your arms, your arms are going to be tight. And if your arms are tight, you can exaggerate everything that motorcycle does. Mm-hmm. And that's why he has the speed to go to win, but he can't keep that speed for a duration of time like a Dungy or a Villapoto or a Bubba. Mm-hmm. Right. Interesting. So, hey, can we yeah. can we talk about neck braces with you? Can I can I gather <laughs> with you? Um, uh, sure. Yeah. Look, look. I, I've talked to guys in wheelchairs that aren't sold on these things. Um, so I, I don't fall on one side or another. A lot of the testing that we've seen just due to probably finances has been done through the, uh, company, the neck brace companies themselves. Um, you, you have, you, you're firmly on the side that these things aren't that good. They don't work. You're pretty passionate about it. Like anything you do, but, um, and I, and I don't know, I'm a, I'm the fa- I'm on the fence guy, you know, again, um, what do you, what do you think they're not doing? Well, I, I get, you know, bashed for this and this is fine. So <clears throat> listen, everybody that's listening to this, you can take this and put it in your pocket or you can take this and throw it in the trash. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we'll start off as whenever you immobilize a joint, it's coming out somewhere else. Just like you saw with Brock Tickle. Just like you saw with my, you know, one of my friends too. Just like you've seen with uh, Kennard. Mm-hmm. Okay, you can say, yeah, bike landed on his back. Okay, but he has something that's sticking up eight inches off his back that pushes into his back, and it broke right under his neck brace. 
okay? Uh, yes, I broke my back and stuff like that, but I didn't wear something that said it was going to protect me. Mm-hmm. Okay? We have had, in the last five years or more since these braces have come out, what I've heard, of people I've heard, I know of 16 people that have died with these neck braces on. Mm, wow. Okay? There's probably more. Yeah. But with, without, uh, without a neck brace, I haven't heard of anybody. Okay? But there probably is people, but I haven't heard of anybody. Mm-hmm. Now, I've heard of 16 people dying because what happens is when you hit the ground, the, all this energy is put into places that it should not be put into. Your sternum, your spine, mm-hmm. and that's what you're trying to protect. Your head. Okay? So your body is meant to dissipate all this energy. Right? When I, cause I went head first into a jump, fourth gear, as fast as 450s would go. I sh- if I had a neck brace on, I don't believe I'd be here. I think I'd be dead. Because, one, when you have a shelf under your neck, under your chin, you can't tuck your head. Mm-hmm. So now you become a lawn dart. Right? Yep. And if your head gets pushed back, well, now it's going to stop. So now there's more energy going into your, your head. Mm-hmm. And if all this energy is going into this neck brace that's put into your sternum, your shoulders, and your, your spine, well, what? <laughs> that's mm-hmm. not where all this energy should be going. Yeah. Now, you know, that's, that's to me the, the part of where people get hurt is because they're, they're too locked up atop. They can't, they can't tuck their head. Mm-hmm. So when you do an endo, well, you're trying to get back, and that thing's pushing your head down more. Every time you get back, it pushes your head down more, mm-hmm. so it makes you endo more. When you go over the bars, you can't tuck your head. Yes, some are a little bit lower, but still, it, there's there's a little bit of restriction. Yeah. Now technique. Now technique wise, I see so many people have to ride flat footed, <clears throat> bring their knees in front of their shoulders, bring their upper body back to the back of the motorcycle just to see up. And when you put your upper body in the back of the motorcycle behind your knees, you're in the most dangerous, most the most dangerous position you can be mm-hmm. on a motorcycle for for strength, stability, coordination, and balance. Okay, so what's more, what's more dangerous, being in the best position you can possibly in and not have a neck brace on or be in the worst possible position you should to be in on a motorcycle and be wearing a neck brace? I'll pick number one. Right, right, okay? right, right. And whenever you immobilize yourself at the highest point, everything that happens, you get affected, just like you're seeing Davalos. Every time he gets kicked, his head shoots forward. Every time he goes sideways that head whips down, hits the neck brace, and pushes his arm down and throws him off to the side. And it happens to so many, even this Villapoto, it happens to so many riders. That head whips down, and it pushes your shoulders down because there's a ledge there, right? Mm-hmm. When that bike kicks up, it pushes your head forward, and it makes you go into your arms more, it makes you go over the bars more. I mean, I, I, you know, how can't you see this? Uh, that, that's, that's what blows me away is how can't we see this? There, has any of these brace companies come after you? <laughs> have, has, no. has any of them invited you to like have a sit down or anything? Because definitely, uh, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anybody's looked at it like this, okay. but uh, yeah. I, I, I look at it like this, right? You know, look, go back, go back, and you, you know, a lot about the sport. Go back to before these neck braces come out, and you'll never see that technique of someone flat-footed with their knees in front of their shoulders and their upper body back. Mm-hmm. You'll never see that. And, that is just yeah. because, and that's just so they can see. Right, right, right. Oh. Yeah, 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 it's, it's, uh, it's I, I got what you're saying. Right. And so some of the top riders, they've started riding without these, so they already have this technique kind of already in them. Right. But riders that start off with a neck brace are screwed from the get-go. 
yeah, they'll always be adapted into that into that into that riding. Yeah. So yeah. when they come into my gym and they do one squat, I go, "You wear a neck brace, don't you?" And he goes, "Yeah." Nah. They bend. They <laughs> squat at their knees. They don't squat at their their hips. Right. Right. You got Saint Villapoto yeah. gets away with it because he brings his butt back. You know, he brings his butt back. He has a, a straight straight back, mm-hmm. so he brings his hips to the back rear of the motorcycle like he's squatting. Mm-hmm. Where a lot of people squat at the knees, so they're lower body goes forward and their upper body goes backwards, which Villapoto's lower body goes backwards and his upper body goes forwards mm-hmm. with the motorcycle. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. And so, um, you know, that that's how I looked at it. I mean, to me, and everybody that's taken them off has done better, from a Dungy to a Brayton to a, oh, Cincerello. <laughs> he took his off two weeks before uh, the first race. Mm-hmm. And to me, leading up to the first race, I was like, "Oh my God, this kid—he's not going to—he—he's mm-hmm. gonna—he's gonna be shameful." Right. <laughs> I mean, he—he he couldn't go through the whoops. He was just mistake after mistake after mistake because his head was always getting pushed forward. I went to one track and they're doing starts, and I was like, "Wow, that's the best decision you ever made." And his dad's like, "Man, I should have listened to you years ago." And that day, he was turning fast, as fast as times as Dean that day. Mm. Wow. That turned around. It was amazing to me. I was like, whoa. Interesting. Blown away. Yeah. Interesting. So, like I said, mm-hmm. you, can, you can take this and put it in your pocket or you can throw it in the trash. I don't care. Right. But I'm willing to talk to people about it because I think they're dangerous. There's no other sport on earth that wears a neck brace except in car racing, but you're, you're just sitting there. Yeah, you're strapped to the seat. Yeah, you're, you're, you're yeah. 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 Tell your, put, put, put a neck brace on and tell your kid to do a somersault. It's impossible. Mm-hmm. So, what do you think's hitting the ground first? Your head. Hello. <laughs> yeah. No. Good points. Uh, let's get into oh. the uh, let's get into the time machine a little bit and go back and talk about your career. Um, oh boy. You're you're San Diego guy, right? San Diego kid. Where were you? Uh, yes, I was born in Escondido. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. San Diego ish ish. Yep. Um, and you grew up in a time. Uh, Jeremy McGrath, uh, Jeff Emig. Uh, uh, Phil Lawrence, all you guys sort of came up um, in, a, in what pe- people nowadays think is the glory years of moto. Um, but I'm interested, when you were a kid, like RJ, Glover, Dogger, were they around? Were you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I started following kind of moto, I guess. You know, I always rode a little bit, then I started racing in 1984. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started really following it, because before that I was going to be a professional football player. I mm-hmm. played football, and I was like, oh, yeah, this yeah. is it. You know, then I started racing, and then I said, "Oh yeah, this is it too." Mm-hmm. So, um, so at that time, before like Glover, he was he was my hero. Yep. Oh, I had pictures of him everywhere. <laughs> really? You know, yeah. had his year and number four and the whole gig, and then you know, then I started following it more than anybody that was fast. You know, RJ looked up to him, looked mm-hmm. up to Dogger, Osho, Bailey, and. I mean, I would just, I had these posters in my room and I would just stare at these things all day long, look at magazines all day long. Yeah. I was absolutely addicted to it. And so those guys were just heroes of mine. And then there came a time that I got to know them and race against them and mm-hmm. then become friends with them. So, you know, it was, it was a pretty big, it was a pretty cool progression yeah. to just be in absolute awe of these guys and then be able to become friends with them, you know? Pretty cool. Some of the some of the guys that grew up around there talk about going to these local tracks out in the hills in, in El Cajon, and there's RJ motoring down 
or dog or probably not Lachine because he didn't practice. But um, <laughs> but Lachine was on the rock. <laughs> right, right. Did you uh, did you ever see those, is that kind of stuff that when you were a kid, or, or was it where you were a little after that? Um, I grew up riding with Mike Craig, so okay. you know we'd go go riding, and you know we'd see RJ and uh, you know see Wardy. And then, you know, I started riding with Wardy out at Central and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So That's pretty cool. You know, huh? we see the, yeah. yeah, it was it was really cool. Wardy's Wardy is unbelievable. Just such a such a good guy, you know. Mm-hmm. He taught me a lot, let me ride with them and all that stuff. So it was really cool. Um but yeah, I'd see these guys out there riding, you know, all the time and just have to stop and just Yeah. You know, pick pick up my tongue, you know. <laughs> right. You even yeah, I was, I was, I was a super fan, man. Super fan. I loved it. You even wore JT, like you, like being San Diego kid ish. You had to wear JT, and that's what you did. <laughs> oh, you had to. <laughs> you, people wouldn't look at you right if you didn't wear JT. Yeah, yeah, that was that was one of my, you know, one of the coolest sponsors back then. Uh, so, you were a Team yeah. Green kid forever. Did you ever ride anything else? I don't remember. I, I can't remember anything <laughs> but Kawasaki for you. Uh, I rode Yamaha. My first race was a Suzuki. Then my dad bought me a bike after that. Okay. Cause my bike, my bike was like two to three years old. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, um, uh, then I rode Yamaha till 1989, and then oh, okay. I rode Kawasaki till 1998, and yeah. then I rode Honda for I, uh, three, years. yeah, three years. I've never seen a photo of you on a Yamaha, but that's like 1980, 1988 or whatever you said. That's yeah. pretty, pretty late. I think I, geez, I think I would see a photo of you somewhere on a Yamaha, but. Yeah, I rode the intermediate class mm-hmm. then, and then and then I moved up to pro. I know I was pro right at the end of '88. Mm-hmm. I started I started in '84, and then I was pro in '88. Uh, uh, I rode the Transcal. So oh, we yeah. used to have all those cool series like yeah. Transcal and Golden State that all those big riders would come to. You know, so it's really fun to to ride against those guys or just go watch them. How many laps do you have under your belt at Carlsbad in your life? Oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> I know sometimes we laugh about that. I'm like, I wonder how many times I've kickstarted my bike. Right, or, right, I wonder right. how many times I've pulled my clutch in. <laughs> God, I, you know, so, as a kid growing up in Canada, um, and my just watching the Carlsbad uh, Transcals and and the GPS and stuff, uh, I got to I got to go there one time. I was working at KTM and and Tom Moe, and we went testing there. And I was a mechanic by then, but at the end of the day. I threw on boots and a helmet, and I rode some laps at Carlsbad because this was, you know, one So it was right near the end of the thing. And, oh, I, was, wow. and I, was, I was just like, I can't believe I'm riding Carlsbad. Meanwhile, <laughs> guys like you, literally like a million laps on that piece of crap hard pack thing, right? Yeah, I used to I used to love that track, you know, because I grew up in that hard pack. So mm-hmm. the harder, the bluer, bluer the dirt, the faster I went. The better you were. And, and there'd be, I remember we'd go testing there, and there'd be probably a two-foot line around the whole track you know so whatever it was two minutes <laughs> yeah. and 30 seconds yeah. fast downhill fast uphill there's a two-foot blue line all the way around this track that you just stayed in yeah you know yeah at amazing traction amazing traction yeah crazy right um, yeah it was good. Uh, so i remember definitely following your career it seemed like so team green jose gonzalez maybe uh a team green somebody yep. g- gets you yep. on board and and you're a team green kid it seemed like you were going between back then. It was a different different deal, but it seemed like you raced, you know, some supercrosses and then you raced some amateur stuff. Was that like your program for a few the first few years? You did a little bit of both. Uh, yes. Yeah. So yeah, Jose was my first kind of team manager, and uh, actually, I just saw him the other day. Now he works for Trek, so I'm trying to uh, 
get on his good side for yeah, bicycles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he brought me on, and then I rode uh, 1989. I rode uh, um, I rode Amateur Pro, mm-hmm. and then in 1990, I rode another year of Amateur Pro mm-hmm. and started doing some nationals and supercrosses. And I had my first nationals at Hangtown, and I think my first moto, yeah, first moto, I got fifth. So nice. that would have. Yeah. That would have been huge, you know. I think I tied for fifth overall my first national ever. And then these other ones, uh, you know, I never finished out of the top ten. The la- after, after Loretta's, I did like the last four or five. Never mm-hmm. finished out of the top ten. And nowadays, that would have been like $500,000. Yeah, yeah, contract, yeah. You know? I, think, I think I signed for like seventy-five grand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a different, yeah. different time. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. In 1990, uh, another new Team Green kid was McGrath, Jeremy. Yep. Uh, did yep. did you grow up with him? When did you meet him? Uh, how'd you you know? How'd you kind of? You guys really followed each other through the ranks. Uh, he's got a few more wins than you, but uh, yeah, when, a couple. <laughs> when did you meet him? And how did that go down? Were you guys rivals? Um, yeah, we we met each other, and the funny thing is, is that we've been, I'd say, friends. You know, mm-hmm. he's been one of my friends. It's not like we're you know super close friends at the yeah. moment, but but I mean friends for the longest of anybody in my life. Oh wow! You know yeah. we were we were friends when we were fourteen, fifteen. We'd ride at each other's houses and stuff, and mm-hmm. then you know we kind of we were intermediate, and we would just battle each other and battle each other, and then also in the pro class we'd battle each other. But right when he got we got to Supercross, you know he his technique was better than mine. Mm-hmm. He went about it a different way. I went about it by I'll work harder than anybody. Yeah. He went about it with more of a feel, more of a you know, more of a, I guess, an, an intelligent mm-hmm. way. Yeah. And I kind of following what the what the norm was was just train hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh train hard. Oh, nobody <laughs> gonna train harder. You're like than I me. got that right. I got that. Oh, I got that handled. Okay, so I'm gonna win. You know, I do. I do have. You know, I I broke my wrist in 2000 or nine, sorry 91 yep. and full movement in it that hindered me a little bit but not making an excuse just jeremy went about it with uh mm-hmm. you know a much better approach than i did uh and F- factory phil always around at this time right oh, factory, yeah. factory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> which I, I phil told me he was nicknamed factory like when he was an intermediate so <laughs> Yeah, the only, only I can do right now is just laugh about those times with myself and Phil. I, we were best friends back in like right. you know ninety four, five, six, seven, you know eight, whatever. Right. We would fly to the races, stay in the same hotel, just ride every single day together, and just push each other. We'd mm-hmm. he'd be on this side of the track, and I'd be on this side of the track, and we'd just go and go and go and running. We'd go till we die because we'd always be pushing each other. So. But we were friends, and that's what's cool about it. We could train so hard, ride every day, but then stay in the same room, but then go race each other heads up. Yeah, yeah. And still be be friends, and that's what was cool about that time. Mm -hmm. When we had a weekend off, myself, Phil Lawrence, McGrath, Emig, um, Buddy Mm -hmm. Antonez, um, you know, just the whole group, we Mm -hmm. went out to the river. We stayed with each other and hung out. Those were the days, right. Then the next weekend, we'd go battle each other. You know, yeah. As you it know, is, as you know, Villapoto and Bubba are not hanging out on a boat together. Uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> different times, man. Back yeah, then, yeah. Uh, exactly. Was Emig always in the group, or was he an outsider for a while? Because of course he's from Kansas, so nobody really knew Emig. Uh, Emig's always an outsider. No, um, <laughs> yeah, he would just he was he was uh, you know you used to see him at the river. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> as you see, Fro. Once I, we were teammates on Team Kawasaki, we hung out a little bit more by yeah, yeah. just riding and doing things like that. But um, um, you know, he, he kind of you know he was on his own agenda. You know, we were on our own. But right. when when that river trip came up, we always kind of everybody met up and had a good time. Hey, talking about you talked about Mike Craig a little bit, and again another era. Craig was in there, uh, talented rider, huh? Mike, oh. Mike Craig, like ridiculous the stories I hear, cliff riding and Palm Avenue and all that with Mike Craig back in the day. He just he you know including McGrath, just he he, he was on another level. Uh, he he was probably one of the most talented riders I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. I mean, just blew me away when I was a kid about what he could do mm-hmm. and what he would try and pull it off and just. He was amazing, but mm-hmm. that's where <clears throat> sometimes you know the mind outweighs the talent sometimes by yeah, yeah. taking you the wrong taking you in the wrong directions. Mm-hmm. Uh, so at some point you get on Mitch Payton's team. Uh, look, you were one of you were winning some races and finishing top five, like you said. Was there any doubt you were going to Mitch's team? Did you have any other deals, or was it straight? Hey, I want to be with Mitch Payton, and this because and, of course he switched to Cowie in '93, so it was kind of right in your wheelhouse when when you were ready to go or were you almost, did you almost not end up at pro circuit or? Um, yeah, I almost signed with Honda in 90, was it 91? Yeah. I almost signed with Honda in 91. Mm-hmm. And that's when I think he started his peak team. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was. And, and so I was almost signed with Honda, but then Honda kind of cut some people's contracts, like right at the last minute the year before, I think it was Denny Stevenson and yeah. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I was kind of nervous. And then Kawasaki came with a good, uh, good, uh, you know, good, uh, offer, mm-hmm. and so I just I stayed with Cowie because I was with him, and you know I I think that I made a the wrong decision then just because of how Mitch's team was. Mm-hmm. It had a little bit more kind of, you know, back then we had our own box fan. Okay, see you yeah. later. See you at the races. Right, right, right. There it was a little bit more of a team, a little bit more overseen, I guess. Mm-hmm. So looking back, that was one mistake. But then I got to ride with Mitch in '94 mm-hmm. and '95. So. Uh, you know, it was cool to to be on that team, and we had we had some good years. We won, uh, you know, a bit of races and yeah. uh, a lot a lot of history. You know, I, I won my first race with Mitch, and that was like a, a week after my dad died. So that was uh, San Diego. You know, a, lot, yes. a, lot, a lot of times that uh, you know I remember back back then. So yeah, that was San Diego, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, Anaheim. I went to Anaheim, and I didn't qualify because you know it was like yeah, one week after my dad died, and then uh, after that, I was like, you know. What? I'm over the shit. I'm done because my dad was at every race and yeah, yeah. did everything. You know, and I'm just, I'm, I don't know if I want to race anymore. Oh, really? Huh? You were? Yeah, yeah. yeah I was just. Uh, I mean, come on, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so then I went to San Diego and I wasn't riding the best, but just somebody had me on a string mm-hmm. and just and just kind of pulled me around the track. It's like the video of going into the first turn. It's like the seas parted. Everybody just crashed, and I <laughs> right through, right. and then. You know, then I, I won, and like I said, I didn't ride the best. I, you know, I shouldn't have won, but I won. Mm-hmm. Then after that, my whole my whole career just went boom, just straight just, up, yeah. you know? And then, then it started really taking off from there, and, uh, you know, so it was cool. It was good, good memories, you know? The, Very good memories. The stories of Peyton and how gnarly he was, I've heard him from Ping, uh, but I would imagine yourself, you're an intense guy, you're a hard worker, you and him probably just got along perfect. <laughs> yeah, I was actually having a conversation with Mitch yesterday. We were talking, and um, mm-hmm. and you know we're the same because people love to blow up, blow us up. You know what I mean by this story, and they'll make it ten times tenfold. Yeah. And so 
to me, I've never seen Mitch be like what people say he he is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's hard on you, and you know he was he was on me by you know I'd go ride and go train and go run and do all this stuff, and he'd call me every day. Mm-hmm. What do you do, Rhino? I rode today. I ran ten miles. You know, I went to the gym. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you know, maybe you should run some more. I'm like Mitch, <laughs> <laughs> you know. So he just he gets pushing everybody, but yeah. you know, I've never seen I've never seen the side that people talk about. Yeah. And so I, but there's so many stories about me. It's like, no man, that's not even close. <laughs> and you know how people, they love to build up their story. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, Mitch is just passionate, man. He's just yeah. passionate about what he does. You were probably making about 20 grand back then and just loving it. <laughs> right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh. My shoot, my first ride from, uh, team green, I got three bikes and $1,500 in parts and my, family and myself said we made it we yes, made it we, made it. we, did the we have made it <laughs> <laughs> hey i was so wrapped up in my conversation with rhino that i forgot to throw it to commercial i'm now throwing it to commercial btosports.com check them out online use the code pulpamex to save yourself money anything you need for your bike or body they carry it all and including fox and fox is presenting this podcast and you can get fox at bto you can get neck braces at bto too that's right. I did that. I just went there. Uh, great podcast. Thanks to Rhino for doing it. And uh, I'm going to throw it to commercial. Hey, Pulpamex 14 saves you money at Racetech, Racetech suspension. So uh, go to Racetech and uh, get some work done. All right. Thanks for listening. BTOsports.com, RacerX podcast presented by Fox Racing. Hey, I want to talk about privateers and what they choose for suspension. Yeah, that's right. Some of the top privateers, most of the top privateers out there, choose Racetech. Long been supporting the world's fastest privateer since 1984. Michael Lieb, Vince Freeze, Chris Blows, Cody Gilmore, and many other guys uh, choose uh, Racetech Suspension, and they've been along, around a long time, and their, their work stands for itself. Don't forget, people, at least uh, change your oil in your new bike and use Racetech to do it. Some of that stock oil isn't that good. Uh, Racetech is the world's largest aftermarket motorcycle suspension modification company. 30 years they've been supplying racers, riders, and tuners with the industry's best suspension products. Paul Thie, the owner of Racetech, one of the smartest guys out there, and uh, the creators of the do-it-yourself gold valve kit. It's a revalve in a box. Racetech.com for a full listing of suspension parts, tools, and information. Racetech. Go there. Make your bike handle better. Do it. Racetech.com. Thanks for listening. I heard yeah. I heard back then you and Pichon, not buddies. Well, come on, it's Pichon. <laughs> Mitch loves Pichon to this day. He loves Pichon. But, uh, he does? Oh, yeah. Oh, he talks, talks to him all the time. I try to make jokes about Pichon. He doesn't have it. He's not having it. Um, yeah. but, uh, but you were on the West. He was on the East. And... Uh, yeah, just two guys that were, you know, pretty competitive with each other. So Yeah, I just, you know, his dad had a lot to do with it, too. Yeah, his dad was a little, bit, little so bit nutty. His, yeah, his, little yeah nutty. his dad would get involved in a lot of stuff, and yeah. uh, I'm just not a type of person that's afraid of anybody or will back down to anybody mm-hmm. when they when they bring shit to my table. So, yeah. it's, uh, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I didn't have anything against him. I was yeah. just a competitor. I'm just a competitor. But, you know, if I see him now, it's. I'm, I'm friends with everybody. I hold I hold zero grudges. Right. Zero zero grudges. Uh, factory Cowie ride in '96 uh, for the big bike class. Uh, was it just a natural thing? Like, uh, 
who would it have been? T- Turner? Maybe Turner back then was the manager. Um, uh, yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think. Yeah, Roy Turner was the manager then. Yeah, I rode a few races in '95 mm-hmm. on my on the on the 250. Yeah, I remember you did pretty well at one of them. I know for sure as a 125. Yeah, I got second. I think it's second at Indy. I got okay. yeah, yeah, couple fourths and fifths. So I was really looking forward to you know riding the factory bike and then. Or just riding the 250, I got on the bike, and I was just amazed at how good this bike was. Right. Factory bikes, you guys that are listening to this, you have no idea. Just everything, there's no vibration. It's The bike is just so smooth from the power, the suspension, the faster you go, the better it handles. You want your foot pegs up two millimeters, no problem. Right. Back two millimeters, no problem. You want this, you want that. It was just like, you know, a kid in a candy store. Mm-hmm. And, the, and the bikes that year were really, really good. But... <clears throat> You know, that year I believed I should have, you know, I could have won this and that, but Jeremy that year just had an amazing year. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I was the guy to beat him because I was second in points, but then I broke my jaw in uh, in uh, Charlotte, and mm-hmm. that kind of uh, detoured me a little bit. Uh, I I remember that crash. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was on. It made the TV. It made the, made the TV. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, you were, I mean, you were a top 10 guy and I remember I was around at this time working as a mechanic. I started in 96 and certainly mm-hmm. you had a lot of speed, but it did seem like it was injury after injury for you. Yeah. My technique couldn't handle my speed. <laughs> and that, and that's, yeah, but again, that's, that's what I teach. I'm teaching right. everybody through experience Right. that right. I could go as fast as Jeremy. I could go faster than Jeremy because mm-hmm. I was not afraid to go fast. There's no, I was never scared. Right. Never was I ever scared on a motorcycle. Never was I ever going fast enough. But that was my problem. That was my M.O. is because I was so able to go fast and willing to go fast and wanted to go fast, but my technique wouldn't allow it. So whenever I got close to Jeremy's speed, I'd have a big crash. Mm-hmm. And that's where the used – Alessi's better now, but that's what you see with Alessi, and that's what you see with a lot of people is that once they start getting too – that point of going just over what their technique can handle, they have big crashes or a lot of mistakes. Mm-hmm. And this is why Jeremy, Bubba, uh, Ricky, Villapoto have kind of almost dominated this last era, or, you know, these last eras, or they have dominated the sport is mm-hmm. because their technique allows more speed than anybody else. Same with uh, uh, an Everts, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Their technique allows so much more speed than anybody else because... A lot of people get flat with their speed because their speed, their technique, technique won't allow any more. Yeah, won't won't let them push anymore, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I talked to Damon Huffman a bunch. Uh, He's he, another one that had amazing technique. Yeah, you know. Yeah, he, he was so fluid on the motorcycle. You know, he he would he didn't train nearly as hard as me, but he'd beat me at the end of the motos because right, right. he didn't use any energy. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, when you look at guys who've had success. You look at uh, you look at Ryan Ryan Hughes. You look at your body type and your uh, your speed and the way you worked. And you had success. I mean, let's face it. You don't have any national titles, but I, lots of people would take your career any day of the week. You look at yourself, and then you look at Damon Huffman's career: two one twenty five titles and some wins and lots of money and factory rides. You couldn't get any more different personalities slash body types. And again, it boils down to technique and and that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, technique will allow you to go faster. Mm-hmm. Technique will allow you to be fitter. Yep. Te- technique will allow you to be more confident because you're not going to have so many almost. Yeah. And so that's where Damon would beat me. You know, it would be, um, you know, when the track got, nah, I wouldn't say when the track got rough, that's what kind of when I think I'd beat him more. Just right. He just had more, 
more efficiency. He had more more feel on the motorcycle, and that allowed him to be smoother, not use as much energy. So he didn't have to train as hard. This is to me why, like a rat tray and stuff like that, has to train so hard. And there's a lot of people that train so hard because it takes so much energy to ride mm-hmm. the speed that they're riding with the technique that they have. And that's coming from experience, not talking down on anybody. You right, know. Right. Uh, at some point in this Kawasaki tenure, as you as a factory team. And I think Sternstrom came in, and he might have told me the story. You and Emma got into a fist fight at Glen Helen. What, <laughs> well, what happened? Yeah, <laughs> what happened? I was just I was just coming off my a knee injury, okay. And Emma was leading the championship, and we we're out there doing motos, and I was and I stayed ahead, I was staying ahead of him for twenty minutes. Mm-hmm. And you know, everybody knows Fro. He's not the cleanest rider. No, you know? no, even, no, no. Even though I, <laughs> even though I love the guy now, we're great friends. He admits uh, it. He admits uh, it. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I was taking this outside line, this super fast outside line, and he'd come kind of inside, but he couldn't get me, couldn't get me. And then after 20 minutes, he he just came in and slammed me, and he hit me so hard that they had chain link fences around the fence, around yeah. the track, you know, from yeah. I think it was the National or whatever. And he just slammed me, and I flipped over the chain link fence, <laughs> my bike and myself over the chain link fence. Jeez. And he stops, and he's all, oh, you okay? <laughs> and oh my God, I was so mad. I picked up a rock, threw it out, I missed him by an inch. And then I was riding away. I'm like, you know what? No, screw that. The fro cuts over on people over on the triples. He cuts over on people on the start line. No, mm-hmm. yeah. that's not going to take this. So I stopped in the middle of the track. People are like zinging around me, going "Whoa!" until he came around. And then, um, you know, I had to. <laughs> I had to, <laughs> I had to yeah, Sternstrom sounds a pretty I had funny to, story. I had to, uh, right. had to put him, I don't know, yeah. yeah, had to show him that I was a little bit pissed. Right, and right. so then I called Sternstrom. I said, there's no way this guy is ever going to win a championship. I go, I'm going to kill this guy for what he did. <laughs> so then I got the worst end of the stick because, we, you know, I had my son was, was uh, I don't know, one or two at mm-hmm. the time. And he was crying at night, so I woke up in the middle of the night. And I'm like, ah, and I walked out there, and our door was halfway shut, and our doors were solid oak. Yeah. And I walk them all, boom, I hit my head on the door because I couldn't see. <laughs> Laid me out on my back. I'm like, oh, my God. And so I go into the bathroom, and my wife's like, you okay? And I'm like, I split my head open. I'm like, oh, my, you almost could see my skull. Wow. Just slice my head open right between my eyes. And I'm like, well, how, what time is it? She's all two in the morning. I'm like, ah, oh, just give me some butterflies. So he just put some butterflies on it. Yeah. I think I'm not going to go to the hospital at that time. But what I'm getting at is now when I show up at the race and everybody heard about our fight, <laughs> and I have this big gun on my face. Everybody thinks. <laughs> and they took him out, right? Emig, yeah, Emig that, dropped no, him. That kicked my, yeah, that he kicked my ass, you know? I don't so. know if anybody would have believed that Emig would have kicked your ass, but maybe, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> You know, yeah, you never know. You never know. Oh, but good. It was, yeah. We laugh about it now. We laugh about yeah, it. Yeah, Sternstrom's story is like, okay, all right. Hey, I got a report that uh, one of your riders punched out the other one. And he's just like, great, <laughs> <laughs> great. <laughs> uh, um, yeah. Uh, and then, uh, so, yeah, getting back to Huffman, he he told me that the uh, – fro- 97, the bike was really good. 97 KX250, really good. 98, yep. not very good. But then I think, and I may have the story wrong, either M.A. got to ride the 96 or the 97, and you guys were stuck with 98, or you and M.A. forced the previous year model, and he was stuck with the 98, and he was pissed because he didn't think about it. Something like that. Do you remember anything like that? Um, well, what I only thing I remember, and the 96 was just awesome. I mean, mm-hmm. me and Huffman, because we came on that team together, and yeah. we would just, 
you know, battle lap times on lap times on lap times, and this is what would piss us off. We'd be sometimes six seconds a lap faster than Fro <laughs> in, test, in testing on a Supercross track. I'm not Jeez. kidding you. I'm not kidding you. You know, that much faster. It was amazing, And but when it was race time, Fro, you know, brought it to the plate. Right, right. He was one, he was one of the best at it. But we had problems with the swing arm, and I know we changed the swing arm, mm-hmm. you know, that year. Then 97, 98, you know, definitely the bike wasn't what it what it was. Okay, maybe know? maybe I got my but years I wrong. Remember, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, but I can't remember what the the problem was. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I just can't remember what it was. But uh, just the bike wasn't the same as it was in ninety six, ninety seven. So, mm-hmm. um, um, I, I I don't know. Maybe they got a better bike than I. I just struggled my ass off that year. So it wasn't a good it wasn't a good year for me. Skipping back a little bit, I forgot to bring up the the bike push uh, battling with Henry. Uh, at one point, you guys got in a fist fight on the track. I don't know which race that was, but yeah, he, he, he t-boned me. So. Okay, yeah, Henry, because we were battling. We we're going into the last moto, or going into Steel City. He had like a twenty-four point lead over me mm-hmm. and Lampson, and so he. Uh, I don't know if I won the first moto. I don't know how it happened, but he won yeah. the championship the first moto. In the second moto, we were, you know, Lampson and myself were going for second place, so he had nothing to lose. Right. And going down the hill. You know, I kind of came inside him and yelled, ah, and it's kind of scared him. But then three corners later, he just T-boned me and cleaned me out. And, you know, I got a little yeah. pissed and, like, pushed him, like, just the same thing that uh, Malcolm would do. Yeah. And <laughs> and he t- tried to tackle me and this and that and, you know, hold me down. So, you know, hey, get off me and get on my bike so I can go finish this damn thing. Uh, people, Doug's a great guy. Talk to him now. Oh, but, yeah, love, love but, Doug. Love but in my experience as a mechanic working for Red Dog or Nick, he was dirty, Henry, or he was out of control. <laughs> one of the two. One of the two. Yeah, he wasn't afraid to pin it and uh, <laughs> close his eyes. Know, that thing right. is sometimes the nicest guys like an Andrew Short, a little dirty, right? Right. A little dirty. Uh, no, no doubt about it. Um, hey, what year did you? And I should have done my homework on this. You rode motocross nations in two thousand, and in two thousand three, you and I were teammates. Uh, but. What yep. what year did you ride in the nineties? I I can't remember, and you lost. I it think. was yeah, it was ninety five. You know, so that was the same year okay. that I pushed, I pushed my bike, you know, up the hill. You you went and, to and, uh, Belgium, then it would have been. We went to Slovakia. Slovakia. So Larocco was on the team, and you know, because he was riding the five hundred nationals, mm-hmm. and there, and he broke his arm, and then I was like the next guy riding one twenty five class, and I always rode a five hundred really well, like mammoth and stuff like that. Yep. So they said, hey, you want to do donations? I said, yep. They go, <laughs> yeah. it's on a 500. I said, I don't give a crap. <laughs> yeah, this, yeah. Is always, this has always been one of my dreams. I, you know, I want, you know, I have to go. Mm-hmm. And so we went to Slovakia. We did a bunch of testing. We went there, and it was like we went from uh, Austria into Slovakia, and it was like we went from into Transylvania. Everything just got <laughs> kind of kind of dark and dreary and, you know, it, it was a strange place, you know, yep. but really cool experience. And uh, I remember the first practice, the first practice we do, you know, go out there and practice, come back and like, how do you feel? I'm like, hey, yeah, I feel okay. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, you're six seconds off of Joel Smith. <laughs> I went, what? Who's like, Joel Smith? <laughs> uh, no, I knew who Joel okay. Smith was. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, what? Yeah. Six? I've never been three seconds off anybody. I'm like, right. I mean, I almost, I almost started crying. I almost, I, I couldn't believe it. 
So, and DeCoster was just going, oh, maybe we've made the wrong decision, you know, <laughs> whatever. So uh, then Mike Hooker that was working there, mm-hmm. and he's like, you know what, let's change this clutch. So we changed the clutch, and I got it down to, and I got it down to, I think, uh, like four seconds. Okay. And I was like, okay. I'm like, okay, I got this. I got this. Right. And then in practice, <laughs> I, got it, I got it down to two seconds. All right, all right, cool. By the race, I was the same speed as Joel. And the second race, I was actually a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, that was a huge, huge learning experience there, man. Yeah, yeah, really, I bet. Um, yeah. So the end of 98 comes, you go 10-10 uh, in the point series. In, and I think, I think you're injured in both. Uh, yep. 10-10 outdoors and supercross. Not a bad year, but... Cowie doesn't keep you. They got this Carmichael kid coming, and uh, you went to Europe. Did you? And that seems. I remember thinking, why did he go to Europe? Because he's still good. Uh, but was it the money? The, the did you want to go? What What was the What was the decision to go to Honda, uh, Paymo Honda in '99? Well, there was just no. There was just no rides. You really? Know? You I mean, no, there, nobody... there was no rides at that time, and I almost hmm. had a ride with uh, with Jeremy's team. I think yeah, Jeremy's team, and then right. then. Uh, you know, then Larry kind of pulled it out from under my feet at the last minute. So um, uh, the next option, I had an option, or actually John DeGroote wanted me to go to Greece mm-hmm. to try to help Sebastian Tortelli, you know, get into yeah, the yeah. middle of Sebastian and, and Everts. So I went there and flew all the way to Greece, all this stuff, got there, got there, got there, and then Dave Grant looked through the rules and said, ah, he didn't have his entry in a month before. No, so I, couldn't, I, I, so I couldn't ride. I didn't even know this. So like, that's interesting. I'm yeah. like, oh, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. So I couldn't ride at all. I couldn't even race. Right. But, you know, hey, ever, uh, it did the trick because Sebastian won. Everett's crashed. Yep. And uh, so then that, I, I started talking to Palmo, talking to some Yamaha guys. And then from there, I, I, I hooked a flight to Italy and tested with Magic Yamaha. Mm-hmm. And the bike was good, and you know the team was good, and then then I went from their place over to another part of Italy and started testing with Palmo, and rode the Honda. And I've always wanted to ride a Honda, so you know the bike seemed to suit me quite well. And mm-hmm. and Paul Casper was just amazing person, you know, just such a cool guy, and just his whole setup and workshop just just mm-hmm. you know suited me quite well. And you know, I'm not afraid of a challenge at all. And so I said, shit, let's do this. Loaded up my family, yeah. loaded, up a, loaded up a motor home, shipped it over. And all right, man, let's go for this world title and, and never look back. The motor home you know? didn't make it, though, I thought. It made it, just a uh, few parts weren't missing. Oh, were, okay. Were missing. All right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> parts could, were missing. Here's the thing, though. Like, And again, I was on the scene then. You were still a very good rider. I mean, maybe you weren't going to win a title. I found it hard. There's no, I mean, I think some of the guys that had factory rides, and I'm like, you couldn't beat, like, you would beat all the, you beat a lot of those guys. That was weird. Just weird how there'd be no other offers for you, you know? Yeah, I just, I just think everybody was under contract. Right. You know? Just one of those years. And yeah. just one of those years, and, and this is what was meant to be. You mm-hmm. know, this was, this was, I have more memories going to Europe than I do, you know, racing the Nationals just because it was so new right. and so different, and just the personalities I met and the people I met, and, yeah. you know, Going to all these different tracks from Luxembourg to, you know, to Brazil to Venezuela to, you know, all these different, you know, riding Fox Hills and, and talking mm-hmm. about how muddy it was and, yeah. you know, almost, almost missing qualifying by one second. And just because those guys are so fast in the mud, and, you know, just there's so much. And, you know, now we, and then we talk about how much, uh, you know, just lifestyle stories we had from there. It was, it was just, it was a really cool time. So I'm so, so, so glad that I did it. And you probably made a good money, right? They they probably paid you pretty good. 
Yeah, money yeah. money was good. Money was good. Yeah. Money was uh, yeah. It's, it's all that money's gone now, so it's all tax free. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, I got the '99 uh, World 250 series in review on DVD, and Villeman was over here chilling, and I I put it on, and he. God, the guy's got such a memory. So he's taking me through this series, right? It's just highlights of each moto. It's you, Bolet, himself, Pit Buyer, Stefan comes later on. Um, I might be missing a guy. And, and Machio Mas- and Bervotes. Uh, uh, Bervotes. And he's got yeah. such a memory, DV. And he's so he's taking me through this. And he's like, watch Rhino right here. And you are just aggressive American charging. He's like, look at his line. Look at his line. And sure enough, you square somebody off and come straight across. And, like, you could tell you are you had an aggressive American style. And, and, and Villeman and I were laughing at you because you just rode differently than those guys. I bet you, you pissed off a few euros. Yeah, I, I think I did piss them off. But I, <laughs> I, think, I think that they, you know, also respected me for, you know, the effort I put into it and, yeah. and how hard I tried. And I wasn't like – most Americans that came over that just quit very easily. Mm-hmm. You, you could you couldn't get me to quit. Yeah, and so I think because you know my bike wasn't as good. I was riding Pit Byers bike mm-hmm. the year before, so my bike wasn't as fast as the Yonder Groots and the and the Gabor Suzuki's and all this stuff. So I was in a little bit of disadvantage. So I'd always if they had passing points like they did at Mickey Thompson a long time ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, world champion no problem but <laughs> that doesn't that didn't work so i think you know they respected me just by you know the effort and how hard i tried you uh fourth overall that season and it seemed like anyone could win bolet ended up winning it but it was a it seemed like you guys would go literally one four one five six one like it was a crazy <clears throat> season and also a lot of mud races Jeez. Oh, yeah, well, that's Europe. It, it, every gp was a was raining or was a threat of rain or <laughs> yeah. they or they they thought that they should water the track right before the race. Right, right. Uh, and there was one. <laughs> yeah, right before the race. Yeah. God, there was one track in maybe Poland. It was the shittiest track I think I've ever seen. I don't remember. Maybe it was Latvia or Poland. Or I don't know where it was, but oh my God, it, it was that, that year? Yeah, yeah. It was. Yeah, I think it was, it was Gdynia. Gdynia, Poland was one of them. Oh. And then there's that one they race now. I think it's in Slovakia or Czech, Czech now. Oh, it was just terrible. Um, yeah. So so, so, yeah. so you got fourth overall in 2000. I think you got hurt a little bit, huh? Um, I don't remember. Yeah, 2000. I came into the season just you know we had factory Hondas that time, so factory Honda came on board with the uh, Palmo, and I was I was ready. I'm like, okay, yeah. I'm winning. I'm winning this damn thing. I trained like nobody's ever trained in their life, and I went to the first race, <clears throat> and I think uh, I don't know if I I don't know what my qualifying was, but it was very good, and came in the first race. And then I'm waiting for my bike, and then all of a sudden, my bike doesn't show up, and they come over to me and say, hey, you're not racing. I said, what? <laughs> they go, you're not racing. You're you're disqualified. I said, mm-hmm. well, what are you talking about? And he goes, yeah. your bike didn't come in to park for May in time. Yeah. So my my mechanic was due to do, you know, he's, he's Italian, so he's smoking a cigarette, <laughs> walking the bike, you know, on big time, due to do. And uh, so all the other mechanics around the around the the riders were seeing that my bike wasn't there, so they all started walking towards the clock. Yeah, yeah. Right when they saw the clock hit that number, they say, shut the gate. And they shut the gate almost right on his wheel. Oh, jeez, really? That close, huh? That close. And they said, you're done. You don't ride. So all this training, all this thing, they said, you don't get to ride the first moto. Oh, my God. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) 
I mean, it, it was ugly. I was so damn pissed. And my yeah. boss, he was stressing out, and I said, hey, I go, don't worry. I go, next moto, I am going to dominate these guys. Yeah. And so the next moto I won, you know, I won by, I don't know, 20, 30 seconds. And then I went DNS, one for third overall. Jeez, <laughs> really? Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's pretty good. Yeah, and, so the next race, I tried to jump something that shouldn't have been jumped, and I landed <laughs> real hard. I didn't crash, just landed hard, and mm-hmm. I broke my wrist. Oh, bummer. Yeah, and then I came back. Um, you know, then the race was at uh, Fun on Jolie, the motocross to nations. Yep. Later in that year, and um, <clears throat> so I uh, got picked to be the nations, and everybody thought it was the worst decision that's ever been made, but I was the fastest qualifier there in 99. I'm the only one that's ever ridden the track, so mm-hmm. kind of a fit. And uh, so we went there, and we won. You know, myself, Carmichael, and um, Travis. Uh, Travis won, yeah. and so that was a huge, huge, huge goal of mine. And I think on the team, I was the only one to win their class, so it was, uh, I wasn't the. Yeah, that was uh that was we good. went we went back there three years ago to the for Nations, same track. Yep. And uh, yeah, yeah, they were telling me they were like, "Here's where uh, Rhino was landing. Here's where Travis was landing on one of those downhills, just yeah, <laughs> sailing down one of those yeah. downhills, you know." Oh yeah, I think he landed on flat. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> um, so. That was it. Uh, the Euro experiment was over. You're back to America to ride the Works Honda 450. Uh, how was that thing? Um, it was it was good if you could ride all outside lines. It just was, you know, the big bike. It was mm-hmm. heavier than all of them, and uh, it just didn't turn that well. You know, nobody kind of liked it, but um, you know, they paid me some good money just to ride the Nationals on yep, it. So, yep. and I was like, well, okay, you know, I don't want to go reinvent myself in supercross and i'll just you know ride the nationals and in testing everything man i was i was faster than hell yeah but just don't think that i wrote it correctly and don't think that my technique was mm-hmm. you know good good enough for how fast i could go on that bike so i had a bunch of crashes that year and um you know i i, I had a big one in in at the mgm race that really knocked me out and mm-hmm. put me in the hospital for a while. And then, you know, I had three or four or five, who knows how many more concussions yeah. that year. And so at the end of the year, uh, I had a big one and I just said, all right, I'm done. I, yeah. I quit. You know, I, don't, I need to do something else because I was just, you know, sick of it and also the head injuries. Yeah. And so that was kind of the end of that. I, you know, that that's kind of a sore thumb, you know, for me is that I wish I just was a little, you know, just I don't know, just something because just mm-hmm. something didn't work. But if it worked, I really believe I would have done very good on that bike. The um, and we were struggling with this at Yamaha with a production bike, and I think they struggled with it at, at um, with Henry stuff. But the early carbureted bikes, a little sketchy on on offs and jumps and that kind of stuff. Did you guys have any of those issues on that works bike? Um, no, no, I don't think I had any problem. The only thing that I had a problem with was I problem with is I. I did power in a few times. Well, once I broke my wrist, yeah, you know, I'm kind of like Villapoto. He doesn't have much movement in his wrist. Yeah. So, you know, I was instead of you know instead of just the wrist, it's my elbow. So mm-hmm. There's a yeah, lot yeah. of thing, yeah. and I wasn't afraid <laughs> to pin it. So, uh, but oh. no, there was just there was just different issues on that thing. You know, here's so. where my path and your path cross. Uh, I was supposed to be your mechanic in '02 with McGrath on that Larry Brooks team. You were good. Ah, there you go. Near huh? the end of the year, I was I was at KTM. I wasn't that happy. Brooks, I'd worked for Brooks with Ferry in '99, so he he said he was going to sign you 
to be MC's teammate on a Yamaha, and it was a done deal, and I was going to work for you. And I'm like, does Rhino know? And Brooks was like, I think so, or I, I think I told him, or but it's all good. Don't worry, Mathis. So Brooks tells me, yeah, you know, you're you're good. You're in. And so I tell KTM, hey, I'm out. Like, you know, I, I, I'm out of here next year. Yes. And that weekend at Steel City, you splatter yourself. And I'm like, oh, no, I think that's bad. And Brooks is like, yeah, and then you just hung it up. You know, Larry's like, yeah, he's not going to race. And so you're out, Mathis. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't know that. Now that, that, yeah, because I think, was it, yeah, I don't know. I think I've done, yeah, two things with Larry, but yeah, I, did, I never even know that. Yeah. Never knew well, that. unless Larry was not telling but, me the truth, but I mean, yeah. Yeah, well, that, so that, that's why you're living homeless and in those cardboard boxes for <laughs> right, a lot. Right, right. Years after. I, I was very much <laughs> looking forward to, to working for Ryan Hughes on Team Chaparral or whatever it would have been, Team yeah, Bud Light or yeah. whatever it was called. Um, but uh, anyways, yeah, so that was kind of funny. And then and then he was going to hire Nick Way, and then that didn't work out. I ended up working for Nick at Moto Triple X, but I was at one yeah, point. Yeah, I think he hired Lampson, didn't he? No, that was earlier. That was earlier. That was Okay, that was earlier, yeah. yeah. Okay. So uh, you sit out a year, you come back for KTM 125s, and you and Grant Langston battle it down. And uh, it was awesome because, uh, you know, obviously uh, Larry and yourself were pretty tight, and then Langston and uh, KTM guys were tight. And, and it was the – if you listen to the stories from the guys that were on the team, there was not a lot of love – between yourself and uh, and Langston that year, and it seemed like the team itself was battling over who which guy wanted to win the title. <laughs> yeah, I mean that that year probably sticks out more in my mind than ever, just because you know I thought I was done. Yeah, and and then again, you know, as, as a as a professional athlete, they can't ever just let it go. Yeah, but you know, it was a good thing. It was there was a whole kind of a whole insurance deal thing that just you know, kind of a messy thing that didn't work out. So anyways, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I started working with Billy Lilinovich, you mm-hmm. know, started training with training him. And so <clears throat> they, we would go testing and they're like, Hey, we want your feedback. Would you mind riding a little bit testing? And I was like, yeah, okay. So I started riding, you know, and I was still teaching and doing some schools and stuff, but I'd ride and I found out, they found out that I was like three to four <laughs> seconds a lot faster than yeah. Billy and even sometimes even Grant. And they're like, Oh, Hmm. So, Right. We started talking, started talking, and they're like, um, "Hey, you know, you, you're really you good." About, <laughs> yeah, you're like, "You're really good." <laughs> well, yeah, kind of. So, um, you know, we kind of made a deal to come back at the nationals, and mm-hmm. I told you know they didn't have much money at all, and I said, "Okay, that's fine. I don't want your money, but I want your bonuses. Mm-hmm. You know, I want your bonuses because I'm going to get a lot of those things." Yeah, yeah. And I, once we made that decision, I was like, "All right, get out of the gym," because I was in the gym. You're looking all big because you know. Shit, yeah, I'm done, right? right I'm going right. to the beach. Good at right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to look good at the river. So, you know, I stripped down some weight and uh-huh. got on the bike, and uh, it was just a magical year. You know, my second the second race of the year, I went 1-1. And then, uh, yeah. and, you, uh, you and Mike then Brown broke, for a while? You broke, and Mike Brown were going at it? Yeah, I broke my leg at, uh, at, uh, at, um, Southwick. I yep. broke my leg at That's Southwick, right. the first yeah. moto, yep. and um, then we made it work for the second moto and salvage points and this and that. But then the next one at Bud's Creek, I couldn't, um, I couldn't race. It was just too, it was just too sore. Mm-hmm. You know, any little thing, it would be so sore, so I couldn't race that. And then I remember doing an interview at Steel City, or no, at Mount Morris. Yeah. My times was I think I was second fastest of everybody behind Carmichael in the races on a 125, and I was only like, 
you know, maybe two seconds off them. And people are saying, hey, you know, but you think Bubba's going to come in and, uh, you know, just beat you guys? I'm like, there's no way. Right. I mean, how can anybody go faster than what me and Brownie are going? Yeah. I go, does? And, yeah, good for him, but I doubt it. I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Well, at Bud's Creek, I got to sit in my motorhome and watch the race. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, this kid is fast. <laughs> this kid is fast. So then after that, I always raced for second. I mean, yeah. that's sorry to say, but, yeah, yeah, you no. know, rest at uh, Millville, I got second and came in, and they're like, hey, did you think you had a chance when Bubba crashed? I'm like, he crashed. I had no idea. <laughs> you know, so he was he was just head and shoulders above, you know, above yeah. us, but he was so far back at point. Right. And, until the last race, but two races that year of the same track got rained out, so. How many points down were you from going to Troy? Uh, well, eight points. Eight points. Okay, so it was yeah, so on. I brought it back. Yeah. I brought it back from thirty something to eight. Yeah. Going into that race, and that wasn't Grant's best track, and that was a really good track for me because I raced it quite a bit. And myself and Bubba, and Bubba was like, "Hey, I go." He goes, "I don't want that guy to win." He goes, "I'll pull over for you." You know, if you're in second, mm-hmm. I goes, I want you to win. So we kind of had this whole whole plan going, and yeah, uh, yeah. but it, it got rained out. So where, I never were, got a chance. where were yeah. you when you found out you'd lost the title? It got rained out. What, uh, do you remember? I was I was in um, I was in uh, at Stanton's house in my motorhome. Ah, oh, okay. Just and crushed. The thing is, is if it was a Honda, you know, a Honda against a Kawasaki battle then there would have been another race because they were talking about, you know, making the race somewhere else or mm-hmm. making it up. But mm-hmm. KTM said, no, we're done. We're done. Because they knew probably that, you know, we'd go after each other. Yeah. So, no, we're good. We're good. Would, would <laughs> so they, uh... you know, they didn't want to have another race, you know. And then, then the 250 title was already wrapped up. So it was kind of in KTM's hands if they wanted to have another another uh, race. And then Bubba was, you know, he was, I think he was 16 points out or whatever. So it was kind of a long shot. Right. Did, so. did you? How bad did it get? Would you and Grant talk at all? Um, I mean, like I say, it wasn't. We weren't at each other. This mm-hmm. and that. I just, yeah. I just, um, you know, it just, it's just like anybody. You know, anybody that's battling is gonna. You see that towards the end, they start getting this fierce competitiveness. You know, mm-hmm. when they're when they're in practice, it's just like when Ryan and 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 both Ryan's were going for the championship a couple of years ago. I remember. At Steel City, they just brought. They were going for the title, and they brought their level of racing up. It's almost five seconds faster than the guy in second and third place. Yeah, you know, and it just shows when you get to that point of what you can bring out of yourself, and you you can't be a friend with somebody that mm-hmm. somebody that you're go, you're going you're willing to die for to beat. Yeah, you know, oh, me and Grant are great friends. You know, we talk all yeah. the time. But I remember at Steel City the last race, I said, hey, I signed, I lined up next to him, and I said, hey, look, um, um. I go, if you don't get to jump, I'm cutting over on you. He laughed. <laughs> I go, no. I go, if you don't get to jump, I'm cutting over on you. Yeah. And so, yeah, got the jump, cut over on him. <laughs> <laughs> but I told you. <laughs> right. So, yeah, it was, yeah, it was uh, fun. It was so fun. So, yeah, it was, I, 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 I remember like thinking, Rhino's, Rhino's coming back and he's going to ride a KTM 125. Like honestly, I was like, yeah, that's that's not good. That's not going to work out good. But you surprised the the shit out of me and I think a lot of guys that year with your speed, like back on a 125 and, and you were, yeah, you shredded that year. 
Well, I took a year off, and I got to look at the sport a little different. Mm-hmm. And also, I changed my way of riding because I got I taught the whole year that I took the year off. I taught the okay. whole time. Yeah, I taught, and then so when you teach, I believe it makes you so much of a better rider because you have to think about what you're truly doing now mm-hmm. and how you do it. And then once you think about how you do it, you almost think, well, man, I could actually do that a little bit better. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. then you're, because then these, the, the way you're teaching, maybe this guy isn't getting it or is not looking right. So then you got to kind of reevaluate how you go about it, and that mm-hmm. only just teaches you. So I came back at such a better rider than I when I left. You know? Right, right. Interesting. Um, yeah. Fast, best race for you ever. Your best race ever. Is there one that stands out? Um, I would say the best I rode. I would say would be. 94 Unadilla. Okay. My first national win. I was just untouchable. And probably 2003 Hangtown. Yeah. Was another one that was just, I was, I was just on my, on my game, you know? Right, right, right. And so, yeah, there was, there was a few of them like that, but those two kind of stand out that I was, you know, kind of head shoulders above. Uh, Biggest regret in racing. Um, biggest regret? The rain and washed away Troy. <laughs> yeah, no, the biggest regret is, uh, is, and I don't have really many regrets, so right, right. The, the biggest regret is probably just trying too hard. Right, right, right. Um, you know, that, that's, that's my regret is just trying too hard and not, and not taking it, Yeah. you know, not going about it intelligently, mm-hmm. but we didn't have anybody to teach us, so, right. you know. Um, yeah. Career highlight, maybe the 2000 MXTN? Um, yeah, career highlight would be, you know, 94 San Diego, you know, winning, oh, yeah. Yeah. you know, the day, week after my dad died, uh, definitely 2000, you know, that was an amazing one. And then also 2003, just because, uh, you know, I came, I came back from a year, a year off. Yeah. So we, that was we, we were 2000, 2003 Hangtown, sorry. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, those yeah. Three, three ones kind of stick out in my head a lot. Hey, 2003 MXDN and Zolder, we were teammates. That, oh, yeah. Huh? That, that was shitty. That's right. Whew. Um, that was a gnarly track. And hey, like way to go one moto format. That's it. One moto. Really guys, like really? We had one moto. Yeah, I know. You broke your one, chain. One moto and that's it. Yep, yeah. you broke your chain. Uh Timmy yeah. crashed uh, 20 times. And uh and that was <laughs> it. Ah. Yeah. Yeah, that that was a that was a very 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 stupid format, you know. Yeah. But we won so much that they were trying to do this or that, but mm-hmm. you know, we had some good races cuz the qualifying and all that stuff was you know, some good racing. Yeah, I, so. think, I, I think we qualified fastest. Ricky won. I think yeah, Tim Ricky won. I think I got. I think I got second behind Ricky. Yeah. Something I don't know, or maybe right. different races. I don't know. What uh, it was. I don't know, but anyways, yeah, I was. Uh, I was still one of my career highlights as a mechanic. I mean, working for Team USA. I mean, shit. Oh yeah, right? like awesome. Even but I'm, now, but now, but now look at now look at the nations. Yeah, I you know, do. I look at yeah. how America goes about it. We uh, went over there just like with three guys in the back of a truck almost. Oh, huh? it was, uh, yeah, I think there was, uh, I laugh about it all the time. I think there was uh, about six guys for three riders, six or seven guys for three riders, and uh, and um, no security, nobody cared, no media, huh. you know. No. Yeah, yeah because that, that's when it was almost at its lowest point was 2003, because 2002 we didn't go because of 9-11, right? Right, right, yeah. Yeah, or something like that, because that's why we had those high numbers. And, um, but yeah, I think that was at the lowest point of, you know, we're not mm-hmm. going and, you know, should we keep going because it costs so much money. Yeah. And then when Ricky, and then when Ricky came in, 
that's that's who made it really big because you know he just he just brought a mm-hmm. lot of a lot of people with him you know a lot of big sponsors a lot of sponsors a lot of hype yeah. you know what I'm saying yeah. and that's when it started getting big again. Uh, your best bike ever, '96 Cowie, or is there one, or something else stands out. KTM. I would say '96 Cowie was was very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, my 2000 Honda 250 was really good, and then my 2003 KTM was was really good also. Right, right. Who was your mechanic? Those, bi- those three bikes, you know, stood out in my mind. Was Hoodie your mechanic at KTM? Uh, yes, he was. Oh, okay, and, and then it- he, he was my mechanic through the. We did some works race, you know, some work stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, work series. I mean, uh, sound like you never won the title, but you won a lot of races. Just couldn't couldn't hold it together for a title. Uh, yeah, I won. You know, I went in the works races, and you know, people, oh, it's two hours. There's no way. There's no way. And I didn't run no Camelback or anything. Like, I'm <laughs> stupid thing. And so I would just come broad hauling ass, grab a bottle that I'd made with a with a, a tube out of it, and stick mm-hmm. in my mouth and drink that, and just throw it away and haul ass. And I won the first four, and then I had like a. 68-point lead and going into Washougal um, road practice the day before and then came in the next day mm-hmm. and came into the section and it was just like oh, these, they these put, loops. They it put a log like, there or something, right? It, well, it, no, they just tractor. They look like they tractor rolled them. Okay. But they picked them all up. So I just came in and just went up, 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 just jumped into them easy, no big, kind of yeah. chased it. But they were steeper, closer together, uh-huh. and they didn't plus or anything. So then I endowed. And it was kind of a simple crash, no big deal. Then I landed, and all of a sudden, I feel my arm flop behind my head. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> Damn. So I took my arm, and I brought it back, and I broke my humerus. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I walked off the track, and Hoodie comes over. He's like, dude, what's wrong? I'm like, I broke my arm. He's like, no, you didn't. That's why you crashed. I go, look. And I moved my arm, and he almost fainted. He's like, oh, oh. <laughs> Yeah, so that was the, uh, the end of that one. And then... Uh. Um, then the next year, you know, I won four of them too. And then mm-hmm. just my elbow was giving me big problems and I just wasn't in a good place, uh, yeah. in my, in my life at that time. You know, what we, we all have those issues. So for sure. What, uh, what year did you make the most money? Europe? Um, uh, no, 2000, 2000, uh, 2001 in America on the 450. No, on the Honda. Oh, they paid you that yeah. good for 12 races. Jeez. Uh, yeah, they paid me good, but yeah. then I, you know, I'm still on a Honda, so then Troy Lee paid me good, yeah, and, yeah. you know, I had, I had some good money. But, you know, let's say, I don't, you know, I don't care. Right. Um, I made, I guess the biggest payday ever was probably, I don't know, uh, maybe 350 400 mm. Yeah, there. yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's, that's, that's boogers for the top guys now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> your, big, your best overseas Supercross race. You ever had? Because back then you guys did them all. You guys went for a month. You were gone, raking in the yeah. cash, raking in the cash money. Um, oh yeah, no, but, I uh, remember one year I went from uh, from October to December. I went to I went to uh, Europe ten times. Jeez, yeah, yeah that was all cash. Yeah, so that was good. Yeah. Um, the best race I have two kind of the best race I won uh, King of Bercy in ninety six. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I won King of Bursi in 96, so that was good. But there's one race. It was in Bologna. It was a Bologna Motor Show. Mm-hmm. And they had this track on the outside of it. And Bologna at that time was very cold. So it was cold as ass there. It was so <laughs> cold, my, my bike wouldn't even kick, sto- kick start in the morning. Jeez. It was stuck. Yeah. 
and and people were using their low their you know their pressure washers and snow was coming out of it. Yeah, jeez. So there was there was shown Phil Lawrence. There was there was fields was stacked, mm-hmm. and I think of the whole race, there was like seventy five laps. You know, yeah. um, all the races and main events that we do because of the show. So they want to race a lot. Uh, I think I led 74 of them. Oh, Jesus, dominated. Was, the, the track was ice. The track was ice, and I just mastered it. But I think it came from, you know, all those years of Carl's dad and all those right. years of yeah. hard pack, just knowing high gear is easy stuff. You know what I mean? Right, right, right. Good point. So, yeah. riding-wise, that was the best one. You know, uh, I guess gratification, I guess biggest win was King of Bercy. Right, right. Uh, how can people get a hold of you or listen to this who uh, want to get some lessons, uh, want to get on your program? What uh, What's a good way? Well, of course, uh, you know, if you want to find out about my supplements, it's rhinopower.com. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, to find out about my coaching training, you know, hands-on is the, the Rhino, at Rhino Institute, not the Rhino, but rhinoinstitute.com. Yep. And then if you want to learn from, you know, uh, learn on your own or can't have the money yeah. the time then I have a website Rhino Power Gym that has like a hundred different movements that are videoed and explained uh, a bunch of stretches that are designed for a motocrosser's body for their imbalances and things that motocross you know takes a toll on mm-hmm. we have like 15 16 different yoga movements all videoed and explained uh, we have writing tips on there videoed and explained we have nutrition recipes food information on there so uh we have workouts that i've designed workouts uh that people can follow we have a four-month planner that builds you up from from ground from ground zero to i guess 100 so mm-hmm. to speak yep. and take you through your nutrition your stretching your riding your training and it slowly 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 builds you up for four months awesome man sounds good yeah. um BTOSports.com Racer X podcast presented by Fox Racing. Uh, Ryan Hughes, uh, thanks, man. I really appreciate it. I kept you longer than I said I would, but uh, I don't care. It was interesting. So I think no, I, I don't like I say it's cool. I, you know, this this is part of the game, and uh, it's cool to bring up old stories and just talk about it. And hopefully, you know, I've entertained a few people with some of my stories, and uh, you know, might have pissed some people off with uh, some of my ideas. But uh, you know, this That's, is me. So hopefully, yeah. everybody had a good time listening to my. Sorry, I speak. No, I think uh, no. You are who you are. You stay true to yourself. You've always been that way. Um, you know what I mean. I think people uh, love you for it. You got a lot of fans still to this day. So, um, yeah. Right on. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very All much. Right. See ya. Yeah. This has been the BTOSports.com podcast show presented by Fox Racing. Don't forget to check out some of our past shows, including motocross legends such as The Bad Boy, Rick Johnson. I looked down and my hand was junk. I mean, yeah. it was sitting over to the side. The tendons were jerking in weird places. And my biggest disappointment with Danny Storbeck is that he never said sorry. Danny and I were friends, and we've never talked since. Brian Lunis. Before the 500 event, Dave and I fly to Germany, go down to Stuttgart. There's this little shop out the back of the mall factory. We get our cylinders, take them back, and, you know, off we go. And, you know, we ran Nicosil cylinders as a factory part for a handful of years before anybody ever saw it in production. Dave Arnold. And, and Magoo was all, you know how he did the big pancake thing? Right. And, right. and he's got the thing, he's completely laying on the gas tank trying to miss his tree. I mean, he would have gone 
even harder, jump farther if that tree hadn't have been, you know, yeah. if, if it hadn't been there. The Hurricane Bob Hanna. I love the guy. I don't dislike. I think he's the greatest competitor this sport ever had. Absolutely 100% in my mind. I firmly believe that statement I said about these modern-day guys in Switzerland or Holland or Belgium on 45 minutes on the same bike. You're not beating Roger. Are you crazy? Right. They're not doing it. If they think they're so much better nowadays than they were in those days, they're fools. They're different bikes, different times. The Beast from the East, Damon Bradshaw. It got to the point where I didn't want to leave home. And once I got to the race, I wasn't into it. If I wasn't going to give 100%, I'm not going to take their money. The working class hero, Doug Henry. It was definitely an emotional moment for me, just thinking to myself, that's it, you know, and it's, it's amazing the stuff that goes through your head in a short amount of time of the things that, you know, that I was going to miss. The daughter, Ron Machine. Until you really open your ears and you want to listen to what they're saying, it's like beating a dead horse. I mean, and I know from personal experience, did anybody ever sit me down? Of course they did. Everybody did. Go circuits, Mitch Payton. There's two ways to make the money. One is you can sign for money, or two, you can earn the money. I'm a high believer in earning the money. I think they ride better when they earn the money. Seven-time Jeremy McGrath. I was so mad, like so disappointed and so frustrated that I pulled pit and I left. Every point counts. I could kick myself to this day for not just riding around in tents. It's been no problem. My, my ego got in the way, you know? The O Show, Johnny O'Mara. Stuff that you could, you'd sit there if you didn't even want to ride it. You just wanted to just look at it all day. I mean, I got a chance to test all that. I like that era I was in. I really do. Search Pulp MX in the iTunes store to enjoy these and over 500 more great motocross podcasts. The days and the months and the years come.